0: Welcome to the Moneymakers podcast brought to you by Sophia. Sophia is an exciting education platform for women with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. This podcast is a finance innovation and investing show for amazing women everywhere of all ages. Each fortnight we will feature an inspiring woman from the investing and finance sector or a female founder with a special focus on Asia. To receive a 10% discount on all of our courses, go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10. And today's guest is Sharina Zakaria, the Associate Director at Iris Capital. Welcome, Sharina. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Good to have you with us. Perhaps we can start with a little introduction to yourself for the benefit of our audience.
1: Well, I'm Sharina Zakaria. I've been in this VC space for about a year or so. My background was basically in finance and in asset management. I've been in and out of the industry and just seeing things from different perspectives um, because I started off as an analyst and then I went on to be a financial journalist and then went back to the asset management industry in a
0: sell-side capacity. And then now I'm in private markets uh, in this VC space. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you with us. I was just thinking about how we became connected, Sharina, because you're in Malaysia. Are you in Kuala Lumpur? Yes, I am. Yes. And obviously our podcast is coming to you from Singapore and we cover Southeast Asia as a whole. And I think that it was our mutual connection, Rachel Lau, who's also in Malaysia, that connected us. How do you know Rachel? Um, It's a funny story, really, um, because we... Didn't uh, know each other through
1: a uh, professional capacity, um, but actually we knew each other way back from secondary school. So it was quite interesting to catch up with her. And then, uh, yeah,
0: she helped introduce me to this um, current uh, space we I see. I see. Cool. So we had Rachel on our podcast, probably in one of the earlier episodes we released when we launched back in January. And she was amazing. So very grateful for that introduction. So one thing when I was looking at your career and your background that popped out to me is that you went to university in London, um, to Kingston University. Um, I'm from London. And so I was keen to to understand what took you to London. Obviously, great university, and I believe you studied economics. Um, Yes. What took you to London? It
1: was basically an opportunity um, and you know the desire to, you know, expand my knowledge beyond. Uh, local shores so that was a good opportunity to
0: broaden my horizons. Fantastic and how was explain to me that experience what did you go through there? Um, Well (laughs) um, in terms of uh,
1: studies or I mean the exposure uh, what exactly do you mean?
0: um so yeah I mean in in terms of the experience of being over studying overseas how you found that experience the 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 network that that opened you up to perhaps it colored some of your ambitions maybe it sort of steered you in a different direction anything that stood out or perhaps it gave you a a wanderlust you wanted to travel the world what any anything okay sure um well just
1: um I guess a little bit of context um, about my background is that my dad was a diplomat. So they were, my parents were in the diplomatic court. And so there was a lot of exposure to the world because of their background and because of, you know, how much of the world they had seen.
0: Yes.
1: And I think my parents gave me a good base in that sense. So when I went, I knew in a way what to expect, but um, obviously being abroad by yourself, um, standing on your two feet. Um, was, was was an eye-opener and was a necessary eye-opener for me because I think um, back in Malaysia, I'm very comfortable. You know, I was living with my parents, obviously, and, you know, everything. I wouldn't say I was spoiled, <laughs> but all the creature comforts were there. Yes. Um, so living abroad by myself, having to figure things out in a new culture and having to you know, try and fit in and understand different nuances um, and how people socialize, that was, that was a good eye-opener and a good base for me because I feel that now, you know, further along in my career, I think it's something that has you know, helped me um, well adjusting and talking to people and you know just understanding people a little bit better I think that was something that I that was my big takeaway for me studying abroad
0: yeah that makes absolute sense and did you go to obviously you signed up for the for a bachelor of economics and did you come away from your um, studies with you know thinking the same thing in terms of your career as when you you know turned up for the first day at Kingston (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, okay. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I was a little bit of a lost child in a sense that I wasn't really sure what route I wanted to take. Right. Um, You know, like I knew I didn't want to do accounting and finance because that was too I don't know that that felt very pigeonholed. Um. So, and I guess to me, an open-ended path would be economics. I'm grateful that I had good friends and uh, good lecturers uh, when I did my A levels who guided me through and you know convinced me that. Okay, this is a good option so you don't have to worry about it. I felt um, a little bit you know like I, I didn't know um, what I actually wanted and what my end goal was so economics gave me a good taste to sort of like have a taste of everything in finance, in investments, in um, economics obviously. It was quite a holistic view of you know of that world and I could be whatever I wanted to be. Obviously turning up for day one in school. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit different, I suppose, but again, like, you know, it, it was good exposure. And I think it's, it's um, the way that I am now and how I function now in work. I feel that it's because of that foundation um, in economics um, <laughs> of like having this um, eagle eye view on things. And, um, you know, always thinking about opportunity costs, like one or the other, <laughs> on the one hand, on the other hand. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that gave me a, a pretty good overview of things.
0: Yes. Yeah, I would say so too. And then, did you immediately come back to Asia? And you took the because your your first role was at um, Hong Leong Asset Management. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, I came back, and it was at the height of the
1: oh. of the housing bubble in uh, America. So I remember reading. Um, I think it was right after. We graduated, and the headlines for the FT. I remember picking this up and thinking, "Oh, damn!" <laughs> was that we're sorry class of two thousand nine? Uh, we have no jobs for you. So mm-hmm. it was quite um, scary, and I'm thankful that Asia was fairly insulated from it, and I had the option to go back to Malaysia because. Many of my friends who were uh, British locals, it was a tough time for them to get jobs in the banking and finance sector. Um, I think a lot of them had to start off doing, very, doing jobs that were out of what they learned in uni. So I was really thankful to be able to come back. And um, here in Asia, we were fairly instigated from all of that. Yeah. And job opportunity was still pretty good for us.
0: Yeah, I, actually, that's interesting. I returned, I used to live in Aust- in Sydney in Australia and moved mm. back to the UK in 2009. Um, <laughs> and... Well, yeah, is the thicker things. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. In fact, it might have been super late on in 2008. Right. And so, yeah, it was... It was a really, really tough time. Um, And you're absolutely right. Lots of, and I was pretty young too. So pretty young (laughs) and finding myself in a position where I had to take a job that perhaps, you know, wasn't quite what I had in mind. That's for sure. yeah. Yeah. Tough times. So one thing I wanted to touch on that sh- um, you mentioned that, you know, you were a lost child, so to speak, but <laughs> I think I think it's so tough on young people when they're coming out of university or even before that, you know, I remember being uh, in high school, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to study? And you feel like your decisions <laughs> to choose, you know, your options of what you choose to study, um, particularly in the UK, and the UK system, you're choosing these options later on. Right. In- in your teen years, they feel huge. Um, and the pressure mounts as you feel like if I choose history, I'm going to, you know, screw up my entire life. Um, (laughs) if I, you know, then go on and want to do, you know, business studies. Um, so it's, it's a lot of pressure and, and even coming out of university, not knowing what you want to do. I mean, it's super common. I, I'm always super you're not envious, but I always admire and respect people yes. that have have that have that I'm going to be X. And yes. it's just a laser focus towards X. Um yeah. Yeah. I've always been a little jealous of that if I'll be honest. Um I'm, yeah to
1: a certain extent um mm-hmm. I used to or, well, not blame my parents, but I wish that my parents had been a bit more forceful with what they wanted me to be, <laughs> because I I really wasn't sure what my strengths were, um, what my interests were. I mean, of course, I knew I had a big thirst um, to learn, and economics gave me a great base for that because it's really far-reaching. Uh, what you can accomplish uh, with a degree in economics, um, yeah. there's just so many paths to take, and so yeah, I was a little bit envious of, um, you know, other friends' parents who would pressure them into like, no, you must take law or you must take the, you know, uh, go into investments. <laughs> I yes. mean, it was it was really silly in hindsight, but yeah, it was, it was something I was like, oh, if I had a little push like that, maybe I'd be better. But then on the other hand, I mean, the grass is always green on the other side and I see these friends who are miserable reading law or whatever it is that their parents even had asked of them. <laughs> so (laughs) yeah it's quite funny how life turns
0: out (laughs) yeah exactly I absolutely agree and I I I have two children myself now and I often think about this very topic what am I supposed to do do I push them um I, you know with with knowledge that I didn't have as a young as a mm. young person now like understanding what's important what you should you know what don't waste your time on this don't but I guess there's an element of they need to work some things out for themselves yeah um Sorry. so yeah I get respect to your parents for allowing you to <laughs> blossom into your career so you ended up um, After your analyst role, your first role out of university, you ended up becoming a journalist, intrigued as (laughs) to how that came about.
1: Okay, so um, traditionally, I mean, you think you have a degree in um, economics, so you think you have to go down that route where you practice economics. So bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I applied to become an economic analyst um, at Hordong Asset Management. So they did buy side, and they also had a fixed income team. So you know, um, the economics degree would be well served sort of there. And then, so I was very excited about that. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's see what it's all about. And then I realized, oh, it's a little bit dry in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it didn't really um, excite me enough. And then, so I looked around and I realized, um, I suppose it's more applicable for a small market like Malaysia. But I realized that compared to an analyst, financial journalist can move markets more <laughs> compared to an analyst. Um, but also because an analyst is restricted by certain rules and regulations, which I completely understand once I was on that side of things. But um, at that very young and impressionable age, I was like, oh, actually, there's a lot of exposure here in financial journalism. Um, and then, so I was with, uh, so I went and applied uh, to this publication called The Edge. Um, yes. It's uh, Malaysia's, um, I think, first um, financial publication. Um, I think they modeled themselves uh, after the FT, what they wanted to achieve. So I had earlier interned there when I was um, in uni actually. Um, it was a very brief stint. So I had a I had a good idea of what it is. Um, and then I also got encouragement from my brother who was like, this would be a good space for you to learn, um, you know, to learn financials, to learn how business people work. Uh, and you have like you know first-hand contact with them. Yeah. So off I went and it was tough at first you think because you read a lot, you can write well. Was um, <laughs> not the case. <laughs> so that was a steep learning curve. And there was also a lot of interpersonal um, skills that were required because, I mean, I wouldn't describe myself as an extrovert per se. There's parts of me which I really do not like dealing with people, um, although I've come to realise that even if I don't like it and I force myself, I can still do it. <laughs> yeah. So that was something that helped me break out of that shell. Uh, where I was very unsure of myself. You know, the role is always like, you know, just go out there and just ask your questions. Um, even though it's a stupid question, it's a silly question, just ask it. And I think from there, the curiosity sort of bloomed because, you know, it's always, I mean, in journalism, it's always about asking questions. So that, you know, helps set out a base for when I returned to the industry and um, became an analyst
0: again. Yeah. grateful for that experience. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Good on you as well. I have utmost respect for, you know, changing things up and not being feeling the pressure of following that traditional trajectory and and following something that you thought that you would, you know, would really enjoy. And clearly it gave you a really good, you know, you had transferable skills. And yeah. you, you know, upskilled in some areas. So, you know, huge respect to you for doing that. Um, did you mm-hmm. enjoy the writing part? I love writing. So um, <laughs> I, I'm keen to hear, you know, you're, you said <laughs> it, it's, it's an art, isn't it? Yes, it truly is.
1: Uh, and you realize not
0: everyone can write.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but Yeah. I mean, when you do it every day. So how we start off at the age is that you're uh, required to do you'll be put through to the... So there's a daily publication and a weekly publication. So once you're... They set you off in the daily publication before you graduate to the weekly. So yeah, you, you by hook or by crook, every day you'd have to produce something. So eventually it's sort of like, you know, they knocked it into you <laughs> that you have to write. And um, I think later on, you know, as you go along, you improve. Um, the more you read and the more you write and the longer you've been in the industry, I think that just develops into something um,
0: of quality yes yeah yeah interesting yeah, so I, did, I I did
1: enjoy it um, yeah I, I actually really quite enjoyed it because I think that was um, the start of uh, really good friendships and networking and um, it's nice to see that everyone started off there um my uh, fellow journalists who started off there many of them are in finance now um, in banking investments so it's kind of nice to know that I mean again like we're not confined to just uh, journalism. I mean, at that point in time that there is, you know, uh, there is, like you say, transferable skills that you can carry on living life to other industries.
0: Yeah, yeah. An interesting observation here, but don't you think that is the flip side of The struggle you said you had, which is, you know, lots of options, not being pressured into doing one thing you, you know, and you found it difficult to choose what that what you know, what it is you should be doing. But the flip side of that kind of challenge and struggle is that you've felt empowered and enabled to kind of do do that and switch around from finance into journalism back to finance you know years ago yeah. you know people wouldn't have been able to do that or, or at least that wasn't yeah. the norm right it was exactly. it was much more of a struggle it was you're an you know economist for for life or you're a lawyer <laughs> for life um, and yeah. we don't we don't have that pressure so much it's like well yeah. I'm gonna be a lawyer for the next five years and then I might be an economist um, I might You know like you be a journalist it's it's um it's a very privileged place for us to be in but i appreciate it also brings its challenges um with so many options
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, i
0: agree the money makers podcast is brought to you by sophia the place for women to learn invest and change the world Sophia is an education platform for women providing much-needed courses on personal finance and investing with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early-stage investing. Go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all of our courses. So you... um... You went back into um, your finance career thereafter yep. and you've had two or three roles since your journalism, bef- and which has taken yeah. you to um, to Iris Capital. Would love to understand yep. a little bit more about Iris Capital and what you do there.
1: Okay, um, so Iris Capital is Malaysia's first privately driven venture debt fund. Just uh, to note that we have no obligation to Iris Capital, the French entity. Um, I think there's a larger VC called... Um, capital as well. Uh, so it's just by chance we had the same name. <laughs> so we co-managed the fund with uh, our partners from South Korea. They're part of a large conglomerate called um, Hanwha. So Hanwha Asset Management co-manages with us. It's been an interesting journey with them because um, this partnership started uh, during the pandemic. So we only met them for the first time uh, last month, actually. They came down. <laughs> and we were like, wow. finally, like we we're all really excited. We're like, oh, finally, you like, okay, we're hanging out. <laughs> um, yeah. And then so they, they, they. I mean, they're committed to um coming to visit us every few months, just you know, to establish a better relationship. Yeah. Um, so like I said, we're a venture debt fund, which is a fairly new asset class in the funding ecosystem in Malaysia and in Southeast Asia. Um, I think in the region we only have a handful of other. Um, competitors. So we, um, this program is also part of uh, the Malaysia's part of Malaysia's Ministry of Finance' Dana national program. So it was a program to help uh, to help boost uh, post-COVID uh, economic growth uh, by supporting local startups and uh, regional startups. So yeah, so they are they are a match for match uh, program. Uh, So whatever we raise, they will match, and um, yep, we're here to help startups, uh, you know, get funding, and a lot of people just aren't very aware or understand what venture debt is. Essentially, it's still a debt product, um, but it's primarily for venture-backed firms. And yeah, I mean, that's essentially what it is. I mean, it just completes the funding ecosystem. Yeah. Um, yeah. As opposed to going to a bank or financial institution where a lot of startups may not be able to do that. So we're there to bridge that gap.
0: Yeah, perfect. Really interesting. I mean, that you've been, the Iris Capital has been able and, and the team have been able to build a partnership completely remotely. Yeah. And that's just is, that's game changing. And to you know, to meet so late after starting, uh, you know, yeah. forming that partnership. It's amazing. And I can totally relate to that. I launched Sophia in January this year, having not met in person, my two business partners in Hong Kong. <laughs> um, so I feel like I know, I mean, I'm sure you do too, but I feel like I know my partners in Hong Kong very well. I, I have to remind myself that I had never met them because you (laughs) you spend so much time together and technology has enabled that and changed things for us in such a drastic way it's amazing
1: (laughs) yeah I totally agree with you it was um of course I mean you know initially there was a lot of I mean I think the one challenge with like zoom calls and google meets and um all of these um online you know interactions is that it's it's the it's the inability to gauge like body language um, and how the mm. person is actually you know reacting to you. I mean, yes, you can see them on the screen, but it's very different when you're right there in front of them. And I think with the with our Korean partners, not to say that there was a little bit of a language difficulty, but again, um uh, there's a little bit, you know, it, the nuances, I mean, it would we don't, it would have served us better if we were, you know, in a room together discussing instead of on zoom so there was a little bit well I wouldn't say uh, misunderstandings but it's just you know lost in translation I suppose yes, um, at yeah. the time so you know once once we finally met we're like oh this is what you meant like yeah. sure sure okay right we'll, we'll get that on track so yeah it was great to meet them and it was funny how excited they were we were excited too <laughs> <Ooh>. yeah <laughs> so like the moment the borders opened up they came down
0: Yeah, amazing that we're now a little more free here in Malaysia and Singapore. Um, (laughs) That is game changing for us too. You're absolutely right. I think that, you know, technology has definitely facilitated the, you know, something that we thought was impossible before COVID, but we cannot absolutely replace that human to human connection. And we as humans actually do need other humans and (laughs) and social and professional interactions. So I'm super happy that you can can connect now. I don't know if it's as easy to go to Korea right now, But um, at least for us in Singapore, Malaysia, things are a little easier. Definitely the Singapore-Malaysia causeway has been extremely busy. I expect they're going to need to be re-tarmacking that road sometime soon. (laughs) In fact, I think I'm going to head over to Malaysia um, in the coming couple of weeks. So I can't wait. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, um, Sharina. I've really enjoyed this chat and actually it's gone in a slightly different direction than I thought it would go in, (laughs) but actually really um, enjoyed it. And and thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Um, Really interesting. And I'm sure our listeners will love to hear where you've been and, and the journey you've taken because it's not been the most traditional. And I think that that's probably given you a lot of amazing skills and foundations for a successful career at Iris Capital. So thank you. Thank you, Tanya. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Money Makers podcast brought to you by Sophia, the education platform for women that increases diversity in early stage investing. Visit sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all our courses. Learn, invest, and change the world.